and be sure to access the link in this episode for access to all its giving content. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of It's Giving, hosted by your boy, Brandon the Introvert. In this episode, we'll be discussing P-Valley, Season 2, Episode 6, Savage. Now let's start the show. So first order business, I really need to email uh, Anchor about these sounds because I really miss my other little like, I miss that sound. Um, Did it sound like a little bit of a Pornhub? It could be a little Pornhub sound, but... The sounds that I had before, they just completely took them out, replaced them with all of these new sounds. Even the white sounds, they beat like, and it was a lot of white country ass sounds. They have um, sounds, audio, y'all know what I mean. Um, uh, even the 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 last ones were better than the new white country sounds. So it's just like I don't know. I don't know who. I, one thing I hate is when people replace shit or change shit and it's working just fine. Maybe it didn't work for other people, but I feel like the the sounds are better. But that has nothing to do with nothing. Um, welcome back to another episode. Um, like I said before, this will be this is episode six, Savage, and we get into like kind of we get into a lot of major shit that happens and they it's a lot of major shit you could tell because now there's a week break in between uh episode six and then you know continuing all from episode seven and a lot of shit went down and we are well we i will just take you through it so in this episode uh it is directed by melanie mayron and she's had a long career in television and film um as well i think it goes back definitely i believe definitely before the 90s but it's been spanning some decades and um i believe she won a primetime emmy for 30 something um, from what I recall. And then the teleplay is uh, by Nicole Jefferson, Asher, and uh, Katori Hall, the creator of the show, of course. And the story is by Nicole Jefferson Asher. Now, I noticed the episodes that say like teleplay and story instead of just like written by. I feel like this is the, the of course, adaptation for television but I feel like these are the original stories from um, P-Valley even goes back to like Pussy Valley. Like I got to look it up, but I'm confident. I feel like these are the stories they intend on still telling um, even before the pandemic. I feel like now, of course, like I said in the last episode, they're just incorporating all these pandemic elements into it. And then the times, of course, but I feel like the story with Big Teak and Lil Murder has always been in the script and, you know, um, I don't want to say too much too early, but yeah. And Andre with the mayoral race, I feel like that's always been in the script. So I feel like when it's episodes like these, these are like, okay, this is the stuff that's been there um, with the little sprinkle of adaptations to reflect the times and whatnot. But anyway, we start off with Diamond fucking Big Bone. He, as he's fucking her, he, ooh, I shouldn't, ooh, that's a little vulgar. As they're having sex. He's fantasizing uh, about Keyshawn and can't 
keep his mind off of her. He ends up flipping Big Bone so he can get her face out and, you know, not think about her. After they finish having sex, Big Bone comments on how Diamond always um, be busting up in a condom instead of, she's like, I want it on my face. I hate her line so much. And also the actress that plays Big Bone uh, goes, I mean, they, they're co-parents now, uh, Tyler Lepley and the actress that plays uh, Big Bone. So that, of course, they met on the set and I guess things just took off. But Diamond tells her, you know, every man knows not to expose his seed and you could use some possible hoodoo with it, whatnot, what have you. And then as he's doing that, Big Bone notices the ring of Montavious and he basically warns her like stay away from that unless he wants some hexes and bogeys or whatever and they continue having sex again now in terms of this scene I feel like it was pretty fast for Diamond just considering how guarded he is and how like at one point I thought he was like asexual so I feel like he's showed no indication like he showed signs of like possible attraction to Keyshawn and a protection for her and a caring for her but in terms of like just lust or just sex or attraction like attraction attraction i feel like he's never really even shown that so to go from big bone flirting with him and then he goes home with big bone and like they be fucking but then again we don't see too many personal scenes with diamond but i just felt like it was a little ru- like not rushed but it was off. It was off kilter. I was just like, oh, he's already like having sex with her? Uh, okay. So I just, that's my thoughts on that. And um, I just think things are just moving too fast. Now, I've been saying, even a friend told me, I've been completely oblivious, but this completely makes sense. This might be a spoiler alert. So I'm probably only going to talk about this for the next minute, like a spoiler, spoiler alert, like shit that hasn't even happened yet. So this is a little warning. But people have been saying Big Bone could be a spy for Montavious, and honestly i see it she came out of nowhere she made sure she got a spot at the paint she's all of a sudden very interested and curious in diamond and in the way that she looked at that ring was like it was familiar it wasn't like okay what is this ring it's like this is Montavious. like that's kind of the look if she knows Montavious, it seemed like that was like a what the fuck this is Montavious's ring and Montavious definitely disappeared. And the last place he was he at the last place he was at was at the paint. So putting two and two together, but you know, so I I definitely see that, but she can't make her her uh, uh identity known just yet. So she might be a part of Montavious's gang that we know uh he's I don't know which gang, but he's a part of a gang. So I feel like it might be on some double agent shit with Big Bone. So that would be interesting. It would make her character much more interesting because all her lines that she's been giving have been so played out. Like, instead of that nut in your condom, I want it all on my face. Like, it's just like her shit is just too, like, head ass to me. I was telling a friend that too. Like, it's just. Uh, I kind of like the big bone scenes where she's DJing or, like, it's some comedic effect, but this flirting shit is just too. It's too head ass for me. Uh, so who knows? And and when she saw the ring, Diamond warned her like this is protection and don't touch it. Like I said before, so I will see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. So now we're at the 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 scene after the opening scene. 
the Hurt Village Hustlers in their red and green. They're celebrating T coming back home. Lil Murder got him a brand new car, red, green, camo out. I wouldn't, you know, I would. I don't like the red, green camo. I feel like it's kind of hot, especially like in the deep south, uh, to be having that with y'all gang colors on. But I, I guess you got to rep it. I don't know. I'm not gang affiliated. But, um, yeah, I was like, that's just my personal thoughts in the car. But whatever. That's not even the point of this. But he gives Teek a brand new car and makes his dedicated speech to him, how he was loyal in the pen. And now, you know, it's, you know, it's time to celebrate him. He's a real village hustler, most brolic nigga in the thing, blah, blah, blah. It's real heartfelt. And Teek is very emotional at this point. Uh, it's like he's battling something. Like you could tell it's some conflict. Like he wants to be happy, but it's, something pulling him back and we're going to unravel that as the episode as i talk about the episode and also the scene kind of reminded me of uncle clifford's party with kind of that slow motion thing and kind of the focus on little murder from the perspective of somebody else and like a longing and attraction like it, it reminded me of that scene Next, we see Uncle Clifford and Big L talk about just Autumn and her intentions to sell the pink. And they're both, specifically Uncle Clifford, trying to figure out Autumn's next move because now all the cards are on the table. We know her ultimate, one of her ultimate goals is to sell the pink. We know she's now living at the pink. So everything is laid out on the table, and I love it when everything is laid out on the table because it makes it much more interesting and it's less like, oh, where did they find out this piece of information? Now they know they're kind of caught up with what she's at, but Autumn seems to be five steps in front of them as we see uh, later on in the episode. And she's a threat now. Like, she's a major threat. Uh, not She's a majority owner and can do what she wants with the pink. Uh, 69% owner now, so as uh, compared to the prior 85%, but Uncle Clifford knocked her down a bit, which was a good move. And I want to see what, I feel like something with that number, like what Uncle Clifford being at least 31% owner, I feel like that's a significant amount, a significant part where she might, Uncle Clifford might have some sizable power in, um, preventing the the auctioning off of the pink i don't know i just feel like a third is a like about a third is a good chunk so i don't know i don't know i i, I really want to i feel like that number is going to be significant uh later on but then we see t getting a haircut apparently it's like a uh a practice that's using uh, not just any haircut but like kind of using fire to cut the hair and uh, I think it's an old Southern type of thing and probably came back from, you know, our motherland. So I got to look that up because I never saw a haircut, a haircut with fire before. But apparently he's talking about how he has big plans for the day and Lil Murder expects him to continue working as security uh, for him in the future and just be with him in his entourage. Little as they're at the barbershop, Lil Murder gets a call from Keyshawn, who updates him on her assault by Rome and how Rome knew about Lil Murder and Teak and just Lil Murder being DL. 
Derek ends up uh, interrupting the call and as Keyshawn's on the phone, and, you know, Derek will come at you like, hey, babe, who is it? Or who, like, but he is really just trying to control every aspect of Keyshawn's life. Keyshawn, you could tell she's just not herself. She's completely gone. She's completely gone. After he beat her, then beat the kids, her she's in escape mode she is she's at her last straw and she's ready to leave so after derek finishes his cut his fire cut get it <laughs> a little murder contemplates about uh you know just how things are changing so quickly they were on they were literally on the mississippi tour and now it's gone now it's over with and they back in chuckalisa and you know, they were living it up, going to clubs, going to parties, getting their money, performing, uh, touring around cities, and now they back in Chuckalisa with nothing to do. So Big T just tells him to enjoy his life, and, um, you know, niggas die, niggas' lifespan is short, so just enjoy life now. Uh, and like I said, Lil Murder got nothing to do, so he just wants to uh, spend that time with Teak the whole t- day. And there's been a lot of foreshadowing in this scene and the barbershop scene uh, from Teak's obvious conflict in the car to one of the lines as he uh, got his as his cut was finished, looking casket sharp. And uh, we see there's an illustration of a devil uh, behind Robert Johnson. Uh, it's a picture of that on the barbershop mirror. Uh, and a couple fun facts. So Robert Johnson is a, I believe, blues player, jazz player. And before, apparently, he was like an amateur or whatnot, but he went away for about a year or so. And rumor has it he met up with the devil who imbued him with just these prolific powers, but his soul was his. And Robert Johnson ended up dying at 27 and was probably one of the earliest, earliest, artists at least modern day artists modern day and relative to everything in human history to join the 27 club you know you have amy winehouse died at 27 you got kurt cobain died at 27 Uh, so i believe Jimi hendrix too so it's a lot of rumors and speculation and cult shit uh behind that as if you sold your soul for talent but anyway that's the story behind him and the other fun fact apparently they cleared uh the the being able to use that image like right before they were uh about to shoot that scene so that was pretty cool according to katori hall so and then you know him talking teak yeah like i said before the conflict looking casket sharp the illustration of the devil and now uh the brief talk about how uh niggas lives are short and you just need to enjoy it so we can see from there if you're paying attention to that There's some obvious dark looming things ahead uh, that has to do with just spirit and just death in general, but we don't know what yet. So now we are back to Mercedes. She shows up to Shell's house to deliver some groceries. Shell is just out of it. She's gave up. The fridge is empty. There's expired fruit, moldy fruit, and empty wine bottles filling up the trash can. Shell is in denial. She wants a job. She's out of work, but she's going through depression with everything that's been going on in the world and just not having a job and probably just the state of her own life in general, just, you know, watching somebody else's child and your man. It's just a lot. 
So Mercedes confronts her about uh, how Shell, you know, you called Terrica a mistake. And she just breaks down. Shell breaks down saying like, no, that couldn't have been me. I would never say that. And she just breaks down crying because she's realizing like, her life is a mess. She's saying shit that she may me may not mean, or maybe was deep down inside of her, or maybe it was deep down inside of her, and it's the truth that came out, and it's forcing her to look at herself, and it, it's a mess. Mercedes sees this and offers to watch Terica until she uh, is back together, you know, back on her two feet, and she'll is still standing in the fact that Terica is safer, quote unquote, safer with her instead of Mercedes, even though Terica is basically taking care of you and she's 15. She's a child. She's taking care of you. You're drunk. You're unpredictable. You're, you're hurtful to Terica. Um, but she still wants Terica to stay with her. So then once Mercedes leaves Shell's house, she tries to call Terica but instead gets a call from coach because Terrica didn't pick up. And coach tells her, you know, my wife is just all about you. We want to finish the Mercedes experience. And um, yeah, we want, we want that Mercedes experience from you, girl. So she agrees. And then uh, soon after gets a call from Terrica. So at this point, we don't know what Terrica is doing. Shell has completely lost control of herself and Terrica is out and about with a friend named Kellon or whatever. Mercedes knows who he is, but Shell don't know Shell don't know anything about Terrica at this point. But to be 15 out and about in the deep south, just with no boundaries, no parental supervision, no guidance, no nothing, that's dangerous. That's dangerous in wherever you are. So but to have that in the deep south with really nothing going on except your imagination and just the people with you, it's a lot of things you can get into. Uh, from the call Mercedes had with Coach, just from this scene, I'm not sure if she's actually into Coach. She seems to know him as a person and has some type of connection. Is she just with or just entertaining this? I mean, obviously for the money, but... Mercedes' whole voice changes. Maybe she's in like, this is a trick mode, you know. So not, not like this is a uh, a plan. Like he's a trick. Like getting money from him. So she got to be like she is at the bank, like all amenable and all you know, you know, giving them a fantasy. Or is she? Is it kind of both? But this is also something like a weird, twisted way of like, oh, this is somebody emotionally consistent and physically consistent and giving me money too so i don't know is, is she just all in it for the money i don't know is emotions tied i don't know i don't know it's hard to tell because mercedes does put on a good poker face especially when it comes to uh these tricks so i don't know i don't know i don't know so now we see big teak and little murder at a wing spot getting some little pepper wet and they go into a history and we see every time they're together, they kind of go into their past uh, and what they've been through. And they talk about how murder, little murder put on this little ghetto prison date with Teak with some Laguini in a can and candlelit. And that's the best you can do in prison. But that was still meaningful, obviously, and like huge and 
to do that in prison, two niggas, you're courting another nigga in prison, same gang, all of that. Like, that's a lot. Like, it shows Lil Murder, he's a romantic, he's a romantic type. And it's kind of a sober moment because as I'm reminiscing, things have obviously dramatically changed for Teek since uh, being in prison now, out of prison. And uh, Lil Murder, he's getting his music career together. Uh, got a, a, a boo that he asked about. Um, and from what Murder is saying, like as he's talking about Uncle Clifford, like Teak obviously tells that can tell that Lil Murder loves her. So Teak probably feels time displaced with time, um, displaced as like this is somebody that I love as not just a brother, but as a lover, as a maybe even a partner or whatever, but he found somebody else. And just with all the shit going on with like just police brutality and just the 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 preying on black men and black people, like it's a lot for him to take. And then with the damn pandemic, it's a lot to take. And you could tell in his eyes, like he realizes that it's hard, but you could kind of tell he accepts that and he does want to move on or so to speak kind of just come to terms and come to terms with a lot of different things that's been troubling him and find some closure you can kind of tell not kind of you can tell that he's kind of going through that process and we see we see why he does that uh i keep saying as we move on but as we move on and they even have a warm apology moment between the both of them like teak forgives murder for kind of i wouldn't even say murder was playing with his emotions but the outcome was you know you have somebody else but you fuck me and was holding me and stuff like that and you know our history together so it was a lot of confusion but they're on the same page now teak apologize now we go back to Keyshawn, and she's trying to escape from Derek. she gets both of her kids and I was Royal and Jaden, I believe, and uh, gets both of the kids, these small kids, while in an abusive relationship. Like, no, I can't, I can't imagine that. So she gets the kids, tries to leave through the car, leaves her phone at the apartment because you know Derek has that tracker. But then she finds that the car battery has been removed to prevent any type of escape, and Derek's really has has locked her out of any type of freedom mentally psychologically um uh, physically emotionally all of that like he has Keyshawn as a prisoner so now uh teak and murder go to a gas station it's about it's the nighttime at this point and um to fill up that new car that murder got teak and they both hear the new song uh with tina snow uh with a uh, little murder hopping on as a feature and they murder just soaks in that moment like that's me it's kind of similar to season one where uncle clifford was playing the song on um on uh uh uh, dj never scare was playing the song at the strip club and now he's on the radio so we see like he's elevating from just being played at the strip club and people vibing to it rocking to it to now you're on radio you're on radio now so he's really moving up and as he's soaking in the moment, like Teak is just, he's loving it. He's loving it. He's glad to see that Lil Murder, he'll, he's going to be good. He's going places. 
And he still kind of has that anger with him, though. Uh, we see somebody honking a horn because, I mean, Lil Murder, he's in the way. He's celebrating, but he is in the way of another car. And Teak just goes off and goes off the handle, tries to get at him. And Lil Murder got to calm him down. So Teak, he has a inner, I don't even want to uh, connote it in a negative way, saying he has some inner demons. I mean, realistically, he does, but... He has an inner rage. He has an inner something in him that, if left uncontrolled, can take him to the deep end. And we see him kind of flare up in that way a lot of times. And, it's I mean, it's his life. It's, it's what he's gone through that's made him in that way. So now we're back at the Pink. Whispering Roulette, they're hosting the Spades tournament. This is not Pink-affiliated. It's just at the Pink. And I believe so, yeah. And they both seem to be kind of low-key competing, both of them on the pole, but they're both getting the crowd going, and they're both really good. But you could tell there's some, like, slight competition between both of them. As uh, Roulette is on her little set, this nigga named Terrence, I don't know if that's the nigga that she was giving head to in a couple episodes ago, but in Demetrius, episode three, uh, season two, but uh, he approaches Roulette like, what's up with your girl Whisper? What's up with the foreign? Um, and he's trying to get uh, Whisper on to basically prostitute herself and uh, trick on niggas. So Roulette, he's trying to get Roulette to kind of lead her into that life. And uh, we'll see what happens with that. I feel like they've been flirting a lot with not Terrence and Roulette, but just Roulette living this street life outside of the pink and her multiple streams of income and being a hoe herself. I'm not saying a hoe in a negative way. I'm a hoe is a hoe. Um, so she will see what's going on with that. We still don't have a firm what's about to happen. So now we are at the Mercedes experience. Farah is really into Mercedes and coach is also really into Mercedes and, Mercedes is trying to get to that money. Like, she makes it known to Fair, like, as long as this don't mess up my money, it's whatever. Fair, you could tell. I, I'm going to say it like this when we get closer to it. But, yeah, they're both into it. They're about to prep. Uh, Coach got his Viagra mix going on. He got the stacks on the table for Mercedes afterwards. So uh, they're about to get into it. Now we're at this kind of little mini campaign. Andre is with these old rich white fucks uh, at a black tie event. And his plans, we finally get to hear his like outward plans. We know kind of his passion and his interest from his conversations that he's had with people. But now this, I believe, is basically one of his first public, public uh, uh, appearances as uh, running for... Uh, mayor so his plans is to use the money still to have the casino going on but his plans is to use the money to redistribute wealth amongst all chuck lisa citizens he emphasizes that however these rich white fucks just aren't happy about it at all and like as he says that it's like uh like it's like sparse like claps they they're not they don't want that they want to remain rich keeping everybody poor the poor people poor and of course, most of the county and most of Mississippi, I don't know if most of Mississippi is black, but most of Chuckalisa in the county that it's in is black and pole. So they want them to still remain black and pole. So 
anyway, no one is really happy about that. Autumn pulls up in this Jessica rabbit red dress she's wearing and uh she's trying to of course the opportunity that she is she's trying to see what's going on get some you know probably some connects and just see the state of things and these white fucks they still want the promised land deal to go through and they make it known in very subtle but direct ways to andre Corbin is upset, thinking Autumn is going to ruin the plans because she's already put a, a, a ruined their plans before in last season. So he kicks out Autumn. Autumn like, nigga, get the fuck off of me because he like grabs her and like takes her out. So from this scene, we kind of see the political arena of Chuckalisa. Uh, we saw kind of how it is with the church politics, how it's kind of an all boys club. And, of course, surprise, surprise, it's an all-boys club in the political arena of Chuckalisa as well. And, you know, naturally, Southern politics are being ran by old white men just like everywhere else and very anti-woman. So now we're back to Roulette, and she's kind of looking at Whisper. Kind of, she's plotting on Whisper. You could tell She's annoyed by the intention she's getting, and it's definitely due to her racial ambiguity and her quote-unquote foreignness and her lightness for sure. So we kind of see colorism play out uh, yet again and how Roulette, a darker-skinned black girl, fully black girl, has to compete, and with more talent, has to compete with just a light girl who's just you know, don't have to do much just for being light. We see how that went well for Autumn in the last season, uh, how Mercedes was upset, how Autumn was receiving all this attention just because she was light, but Mercedes obviously had more talent and more personality, more everything, but she got to work harder to get the attention of these men because they're interested, lighter, the better, pretty much. So now we're back, at, speaking of Mercedes, we're back to Mercedes and Coach is out here fucking her with Farrah next to her. Farrah really knows what she's doing and she's giving Mercedes pleasure like a thousand times better than Coach ever could. And Coach notices that like Mercedes gets off from Farrah just fingering her and stuff. And as opposed to Coach's dick that's literally in her and that's not even comparable to Ferris fingers. So we see how pissed coach is by that and sees there's some type of connection between them, a strong connection because they're holding hands and he's pissing, tries to call off, just shuts everything down. And Farrah tells him that, look, I always like pussy. I always like woman. And you just never noticed it because you were always pursuing your passions, your interests, but never thought to see who am I as an individual? You just view me as just your wife, you know, instead of pouring into me, you were just pouring into yourself. And if you noticed that before, you would have noticed this before, you know? So he ends up just kind of putting all that blame on Mercedes as if Mercedes turned out his wife and Mercedes is to blame for all this. And he cancels the agreement and kicks her out and fair gives her heels and has nothing to say. And, Mercedes looks at her like, girl, you done fucked up my money. Like, this is real for me. Like, if you can't change this, if you can't get it back to where it is, where I get my money, then don't interfere in this way. Like, you're you're messing up with my life. And I feel like Farrah was kind of not intentionally, intentionally using her, but at the end of the day was using her to 
get some type of outlet and freedom that she never had before, which is, yeah, that's the situation. So now at this point, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's nighttime, like I said, and Derek arrives and uh, Keyshawn has her gun, the little gun at the ready, but then decides against it because it's like, okay, if I shoot him, how am I going to dispose of the body with, you know, I got two small children. If I go to jail, they're not going to have anyone to go to, you know, so it's just a lot of consequences um, that she'll face if she shoots down her husband so and then it's like what if what if he survives and then go like because Derek is crazy he if you shoot him and he's still some type of life he will aim to kill you so Keyshawn is still stuck and trapped in the situation and I think the stakes get higher and it just gets creepier and creepier and scarier and scarier each time Derek is in the scene so it, it, it's like she just doesn't have a lot of options right now which makes it scarier. So now uh Big Teak and Murder on the phone with Woe. And also before, like the like just looking back, the pink was really a safe haven for Keyshawn and for her children. You had people that were literally like Uncle Clifford, Diamond, uh maybe maybe Uncle L, maybe, but the other dancers, like they were a village. They were looking after Keyshawn and her child. So now that the, the pink is closed, the tour is over with, she doesn't have any more outlets. She don't have anywhere else to go to. She's just stuck in the, the, the apartment exactly how Derek likes her. So now Big Teak and Murder on the phone with uh, Wody. Apparently they're going to cop. And um, as Teak leaves to go in the house, uh, I guess apparently it's the trap house, Wody says that Teak can't be on tour because he's just too unstable. But, you know, Murder, of course, is against that and says, you know, he needs to be with us. As they're talking, Wody let it slip that Rome OD'd and Murder's like, how do you know that? How do you know that? And Wody kind of hints at like, you know, I just make shit happen, blah, 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 blah. To me, it's crazy because I feel like Keyshawn was saying a lot of like, I mean, she had no choice, though. She she had to talk over the phone. But Keyshawn was saying some, what's the word that I can use? Uh, damnable ev evidence, damning evidence, you know, their conversation. And I feel like Wody, that was just completely, like, damning evidence, saying, like, I don't know if I'm using it right. But y'all know what I mean. Incriminating, incriminating. The fact that you know Romo deed, but the cause of death is unknown, but you knew Romo deed, and especially since you were the last person with uh, Rome, it's like y'all a little sloppy saying all this through the phone. But uh, Teak goes, as now we're back to Teak uh, through her, his perspective. Teak goes into this mystery house, and as he's going through the house, through the halls or whatever, we hear it's an obvious flashback. And we hear in the back, it's um, it's a fight going on between a woman and her children. And we can assume that's his mom. And it's obvious that whatever happening was severely traumatizing and is spooking Teak out. He ends up going uh, to a closet space and opens the door. And we see what we can assume is basically a younger version of a child uh, when he was a child. And this child is staring at him and he's staring down at the child and the child is just sitting there with blood just dripping down um, from his neck. And 
from then we see okay some some wild severe shit happened when you were a child and murder comes in and is able to kind of disrupt the whole flashback uh that teak is experiencing and arms him with his tool because he forgot his uh his uh his gun and um yeah so he kind of disrupts that so teak explains that that used to be his house and like i said before he it seems as though he is settling or not just not settling but getting some type of closure or some finite closure with everything significant that's been going on in his life like he's he's closing the doors to a lot of different things and we see the reason as we go on an episode murder tells him to leave that behind like we got we you know we got a future ahead of us like leave all that shit behind and here's a more foreshadowing murder says we saying bye tonight nigga both of us ain't never coming back foreshadowing now we're back to autumn and she's outside acting as a cigar girl and introduces herself to some lady named this white lady named miss batson and autumn gets an end to the cigar room by being miss batson's accompaniment and uh i would say miss batson is this no nonsense smarter than everybody in the room obviously has power obviously sees men are idiots like she really has them all by the balls like literally and she knows that and she's just quicker and wittier and all of that but she seems to be more vicious than any of them could ever imagine uh autumn makes it known that she's the owner of the pink which definitely intrigues miss batson and they have a chance uh autumn makes it known that y'all have a chance to offer me you know my offer that i wanted of 10 million dollars and miss batson assures autumn that she'll definitely be getting a uh, good offer from them uh and kind of what's the word uh i'm always saying what's the word belittles her 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 little minion who i think was one of the executives of promised land or whatever and try who tried to offer autumn forty thousand k and autumn makes it known like what if word got out maybe even to cnn that you know you tried to offer black land you know she uses that black landowner trope um not trope but black landowner card even though she don't give a fuck about black land ownership but she's like, you know, what if that got out to CNN? You know, you gave me $40,000 and that's definitely not worth what it's worth. And how would that look on Promised Land's part? So she kind of dangles that in front of them and shows her cards pretty much and leverages her cards. So as Miss Batson leaves, like I said, she gives her, she says, you know, we'll be in contact and I think we can give you a better offer than that. Much better. It might even be over $10 million so yeah and she endorses andre she just makes it known that you better not get in the fucking way of her motherfucking casino i'm starting to talk like them a little bit on p valley like certain words come a little bit easier just from hearing it constantly but i think this was definitely an introduction of we see there's a bigger and badder boss than mayor kyle and it goes beyond just the local politics i think it's at this point now state level and uh maybe even nationwide because promised land seems like a pro uh, a powerful uh real estate development company 
So I love it when we see like there's even a bigger boss to be worried about and a sharper boss, like a boss where it's like you, it's not just some simple tactics. Like you got to, she got power and she seems like she'll do whatever she needs to do to maintain that power. And if anybody's in her way, she removes them with the quickness. So now we are back at uh, Uncle Clifford and he's taking Grandma Ernestine's uh, temperature and it's 102 and she's still coughing and all of that. He calls on Toy, you know, to just quote unquote check on her, but really see if she's still sick and she's still sick and it might be COVID. He, he was like, uh, Uncle Clifford was like, I knew you had no motherfucking allergies. So Toy is still sick and it's getting scary now she it's it's a high possibility she has covid they don't make it explicit yet i don't even know if tests were available like five months after the pandemic started like really nationwide march uh march five months after march was like august 2020 i don't think they were yet i don't know but anyway, this is getting scary because grandmama might have COVID and we love Loretta Devine's character. We love her character. So now we're back at Andre at his house that he inherited from his godfather. And he's on the phone with Corbin just talking about everything that happened from the the uh black tie event and corbin just dogging autumn out like she don't know shit she need to stay in her place she don't know like corbin is such a bitch even though you are at the paint getting uh getting a woman to whip you and shit like you a slave like you're a bitch now um of course Haley is at his house unannounced already sitting in a chair like it was so i was like okay uh autumn autumn lakeisha savage but she's upset at Autumn. No, he, my bad. Andre's upset at Autumn for basically almost messing everything up, even though she didn't, and tries to kick her out. And then as she's about to leave, Andre does this little insecure ego thing like, you know, I let you win, right? You know, it wasn't you, right? You know, I let you win. So I, don't act like you did all this just from your, you know. And Autumn, Autumn is. A manipulator so of course she's gonna let him have it and not be like no i had like no she knows that's not how you get what you want when it comes to men you got to make them feel like you're in control and i feel like like i said before that's the same shit that goes on at the paint you make niggas feel like they have control but really you have the control uh so you don't come at you don't come at niggas as a threat you come as as if they have power over you, but they don't. But she's like, yes, Andre, you have the power. You have the power. And what do you want to do with me, Andre? And they end up having sex and Andre falls for it. Like I said, Autumn has a very, very, very tight hold on Andre and definitely uses her sexuality to kind of get that intact. And Andre, he's uh, uh, he still got that little insecurity as a man, and I feel like he still feels like he has to prove shit. So he's very um, sensitive to whenever a woman outbests him or beats him or outstrategizes him or outdoes anything. Like he kind of falls into his little man ego, 
And like I said, Autumn is just letting him think that and literally stroking his ego. And that's the best way to have any nigga in check. That's my theory, though. That's my theory. That It might not be true, but I think it is true. I'm confident. So now in one of the final scenes, like one of the one of the final scenes, Big Teak and Murder sitting next to a lake, vibing out on that car, and they're reminiscing again about uh, being uh, when they were in prison together, and talking again about you know the boozy shanking Murder. Mm, excuse me, and how Teak protected Murder and got sent to the hole, and apparently that wasn't his first time being sent to the hole. Uh, when Boozy stuck Murder. Uh, apparently, I don't know if he was just metaphorically speaking, he might have been sent to the hold several times, but this might have been a metaphor, of course. But he started talking about how one of the deep, the darkest moments of his life basically was when he's, as he says, the devil got into his mom and stabbed his siblings in the neck and the head, and they were children, whether they were children or not, that's still wrong, but children. One was an eight-month-old, and he was seven seeing that. And he said the three tears he had was not for the bodies that he done did. And he said he's done a lot more bodies than just three. But he said it was for Lachana, Rashida, and Quell, his siblings, that he lost to his mom. And uh, Teek and Murder go back in the car, and Teek tries to push Murder away for the night and have the night to himself. But murder's not with it and wants to stay with him longer and still wants him on the tour and teak just basically he, he basically shows why he wanted to be alone and why he wanted this day to him and it was to end himself teak uh ends up pulling out a gun and puts it to his temple and he just says he can't see the light no more and it's just darkness and the devil is in him and he just can't see happiness anymore in life and murder tries to you know tries to talk up like you know we got money to get we got uh babies to make we have a family to get we we're about to go on tour again like we have a future but those things teak when he's telling you he wants light and he just wants to not be in the dark anymore and he just wants peace and calm stuff like having a family houses to build going on tour Stuff like that, the first step to even appreciate that and to even be in that mindset is to see some type of light, see some type of future, but Teak does not see that for himself. So all of that means nothing to Teak. All of it means nothing. And he, the devil is in him as a reference, once again, to that Robert Johnson picture where the devil is in a shadow behind Robert Johnson. But Teak ends up pulling out the gun and puts it to his temple, like I said, and ends up killing himself with murder right there seeing the whole thing. So it's kind of that cycle of, you know, how Teak said he saw his siblings getting murdered, got murdered by his mom. Now, Teak, murder sees Teak, how Teak got murdered by just due to suicide and it's that cycle of just that trauma being injected into your mental and being right next to it as well. And then it is just so fucked up in a lot of different ways. So then like these next final scenes are just 
Mercedes gets a visit from Terika at her door, and Terika just breaks down crying and crying. And Mercedes is like, what's going on? And we find out that Terika is pregnant at 15, close to 16, same with how Mercedes was. And now that cycle gets continued. And now Terika is going to be in the same exact position that Mercedes was in when she was 15 and has to make decisions and choices on how, you know, taking care of the baby, being a mom as a child, like all of that. And I think Terika will get to see the mindset that her mom had to get into and that she was in and things just weren't simple and easy. And, you know, so yeah, we have that cycle continued. And then the final, final scene, uh, little murder we see is knocking on uncle Clifford's door and grandma Ernestine is going down to answer it. And she's getting worse. Like she's delusional at this point. She's thinking like her dad is there and She's just coughing more. It's getting worse. It's getting worse with grandma. And Uncle Clifford ends up taking the door and sees little murder just soaked in blood, little uh, big teak's blood. And little murder breaks down and expresses that he's just not good. And then that's the final scene of the episode. We're going to get into It's Giving, where uh, I basically assess the whole episode and I let you know what it's giving. So now we are back to its giving. Like I said before, we just assess the entire episode and what is giving in terms of just themes and just quality. We see a, especially in the 2020s and especially with just the rise of um, accepting mental health and addressing mental health and acknowledging it. Uh, especially in the case of black men and how we handle depression and just how suicide has affected so many of us and the ways in which suicide can look and depression can look. Big T got a haircut. He was looking clean. He got a haircut. He had a new car. He went to his favorite, uh, we can assume that's his favorite wing spot or food, you know, favorite place. You know, he was vibing with Lil Murder outside in that lake. He wasn't, it wasn't like he was like moping the whole day. Like, you know, he has his ways where he's just like staring out into space or like just silent. But depression does not have to look like it does not look like just this one singular predictable thing it looks like so many different things i believe i haven't seen the interview yet but apparently uh with the carisha please interview with kevin gates he said before he was about to uh commit suicide he he looked like he made sure he looked clean like he haircut looking fresh all of that before he was about to um uh commit that act uh basically kill himself so depression and mental health the ways in which they manifest especially for black men and i feel like black men are unique in the sense that many of us aren't allowed or the culture is not there where we can express all sides of ourselves 
the lighter sides, the sad sides, the emotional sides, the feminine sides, all of it. Like we, I feel like black men, we're put in cages, literal boxes, literal cages, but boxes, emotional boxes, internal boxes, literal external cages and prisons and shit like that. So I feel like in the case of the black man, we're not allowed to be ourselves. And when you're not allowed to be ourselves, of course, you're not going to dress mental health. Of course, you're not going to seek help. Of course, you're not going to say, I need help. I'm not okay. Of course, you're not going to do that. You weren't even able to be your full self in the first place. How are you going to even get to a place where you can accept that about yourself? You know, mental health. Uh, whereas, you know, you got to be strong, you got to have bravado, men don't cry, men don't do this, men don't do that. It's been a lot of men don't over men can, you know, especially when it's cyclical, when it comes through sometimes our moms, but really our fathers and our brothers and those that look like us, our fellow black men who kind of reinforce that you have to be a certain way. And a lot of it definitely comes from, you know, cycles, trauma, but a lot of it comes from just living in this world as a black person in general. But then as a black man, you're already seen as a threat. You're seen, I talked about this, I believe in what Demetrius, you're already seen as a threat. You're already seen as something to be killed. You're already seen as something to be beat. You're already seen as something to be murdered. You're already seen as something to be used against and exploited. You're already seen as a slave. So it's, it's all of these evil forces that work in synchrony to suppress us emotion, internally and externally. And we see the world failed Big Teak. We see the world failed Big Teak. And you see with his mom living in mississippi certainly she had mental health problems and who knows it could have been from a whole list of things of why she just wasn't stable but there's no support for us there's no support when we're down and out we have nothing there's no support we don't get a safety net it's deal with that shit in your own way and we deal with the shit in a lot of different ways and a lot of them can be toxic a lot of them can be harmful and we have to make do with what we have because there's no one out there for us so when you have that you kind of replicate a lot of different evils a lot of different traumas that get passed on from generation to generation and when the root is not addressed you're just going to keep getting these symptoms you're going to keep getting these mental health issues you're going to keep getting black men dying you're going to keep getting black men feeling like they have to do what they have to do to get their money to live a stable life to support their family but then when it's labeled if it's labeled as criminal or things of that nature it don't even have to be a huge thing it could be anything you get sent to prison you you could even be if it's a suspected thing you go you get sent to prison you get sent to uh you get killed you know even before prison you, you might be lucky to even make it alive to prison so when you have when you live in a world like that that's already failing us and has failed big teak in his mind he's probably like this is the only way out 
I can't live in this reality. So this is the only way out. I do not see my light anymore. I don't see any light. A little murder. I know you love me, and I'm. And you could tell men like Little Murder gives Teak hope because, like what Teak said, you know, you just got to be a nigga, president nigga, scammer nigga, pimping nigga, uh, poor nigga, rich nigga. They don't give a fuck about you. But Little Murder, he sees there's something special about him, and he's going to uplift black men. He's going to uplift a generation, you know, so... He sees that special light in Lil Murder, and Lil Murder has that light. He has that light to keep continuing, keep it, you know, keep being empowered, keep pushing on. But unfortunately for Big T, he just lost that battle. So we just see how that manifests. And definitely with the pandemic, like I said, it's just, it's all. And then to be out of prison too, you were in prison for the past 10 years. It, it it's, it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy basically so we see that play out in this episode um we see colorism play out again with uh roulette and whisper and how roulette has to like i say work twice as hard to get any type of attention and whisper all she gotta excuse me do is shake her light ass pretty much now i don't know if roulette is going to try to lure whisper into being a hoe into being taken advantage of to take it out on her views her as competition there's a lot of and the thing is i can tell this there's a side to roulette where she wants to care but it's like i have no fucks to give anymore so i don't know we'll see what roulette uh, she's definitely one of the most interesting characters to me because we don't really know where she stands with a lot of different things and we got a little glimpse into her past but so I don't know. We're going to see what she does with that. And then once again, I said repeating cycles. We see we don't know too much about Woodbine's too much about Woodbine's past, at least when she was 18. But we see Mercedes got pregnant at 15 and 16. Terica is got pregnant and she's 15. We don't know if it's with that boy, Kaylon or something like that, or who knows who else. But we see these cycles continue and then how the next generation deals with that. Then we also see other cycles where it doesn't have to be kind of like trauma based per se with Andre, how he's following into his godfather's footsteps as trying to be the next mayor of uh, Chuckalisa. So we kind of see him being empowered by his godfather and hope to be an empowerer one day. And like I said, Terika was always um, kind of judging Mercedes for the choices she made. I feel like Andre also kind of judged his godfather and godfather season one. Remember, he was like, you know, you don't know what it's like to have this type of responsibility on your shoulders, et cetera, et cetera. And we're going to see if he becomes mayor, which I think he will. Maybe it's Woodbine. Who knows? But I think he will. If he becomes mayor, we're going to see the the unique responsibilities he's going to have to have. We already see he his heart is with the people of Chuckalisa, but his the basically his balls are held by the white power of Chuckalisa. So trying to balance that is it? Are you going to try to balance that, or are you going to go one way or the other? So what? what how are you going to deal with that? And we see Tydell, the godfather, had to balance that. And 
now that we kind of got that perspective and we see how Chekalisa works, we see maybe he was trying to do the best he can and maybe he thought this casino would be best for Chekalisa. So we'll see the decisions that Andre makes uh, as we go ahead. And then that kind of leads us into like the bigger bad boss of uh, Miss Batson. And I believe her husband either was a high end executive at Promised Land, might have took like been in control of the whole shit. I don't know. But anyway, it seems like Miss Batson is in control. She probably was pulling the strings even before her husband died. So, uh, yeah, she seems like somebody not to fuck with. She really seems somebody not to fuck with. Like I said, she seems more intelligent than all of them. And I, I think at this point, we got to see what her weaknesses are. And we gonna, the characters are going to have to exploit that to, I think, tear her down. That's the only way. So, yeah, we got a lot of stuff going on. Teak died by suicide. Lil Murder is traumatized. He's now physically reconnected with Uncle Clifford. Grandma Ernestine, Toy, we can assume they have COVID. Mercedes got shut out of her deal with Coach. Terica is pregnant. Is look at Keyshawn is trapped. So things are looking very, 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 very bleak. And of course, for Lil Murder, he can't go on that tour. He can't go on that tour. He is not good. He might jump into the tour as a way to kind of get his mind off of things, but I don't know. So we're going to see how Wody is going to deal with that as his manager. And especially how all this timing of um, him and his feature with Tina Snow. So, you know, now that he's finally on the radio and that shit jumping off. But now your best friend ever just died right in front of you in the car that you gave him. That's going to fuck you up. And like that, the 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 line they said before, like they're not going to be the same ever again, pretty much. So it's a lot of cliffhangers. It's a lot of like we're in the dark times now. We're in like where all hope is lost. And oh, and the pink is closed from COVID now, and we're gonna have to prepare for the grand re 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 reopening. So reopening. So. It's, things are looking very dark and I think that it's a, it was a good uh, choice that they made to get a week break because it's a lot it's a lot of not just plot wise I mean just heavy shit that went down episode 5 and 6 uh, alone are a lot so it's a lot of shit that went down I'd say overall this episode is definitely I think with all the foreshadowing and just the performances by Murder and Teak. Um I I feel like because it was filled up with so many other plots, like I couldn't really only focus on Teak and Murder, but their performances were definitely like that was some A1 shit. So I would definitely say a 94. A 94 definitely a a territory for sure definitely a a excellent episode so i would say a 94 94 and that is all that i have to say i went through a lot that was a lot i and like me like i'm doing this podcast and uh talking about it but it's like i'd be tearing up i'd be like with talking about depression stuff like i really had to 
have to still convey what I'm trying to say and not get choked up. So I'm just telling you my emotions behind the scenes. Like it's still very like these episodes affect me as well. They affect me as well. And we see the shit is still going on with black men just still getting beat on for no fucking reason at all. We see with Brandon, um, the DoorDash driver who, who just, I just, y'all already know i can't even like i can't even talk about it right now so i'm just letting y'all know be transparent because i feel like a lot of people aren't necessarily transparent they kind of just give you what's going on and just keep it like that but i'm gonna be transparent because we need reminders that we are human and we do have emotions and we do need timing and rest for a lot of different things and yeah we just need that type of transparency and that's what i aim to give y'all so yeah, that was episode six, Savage, and let us close out the show. Wow, this episode is actually uh, shorter than all the episodes I've done for this season. So that's, and that's saying something. It's only like, what well, it's going to be like a, seems like it's on track to be like an hour and seven minutes. So hopefully I wasn't zooming, zooming, but uh yeah it's crazy that's the shortest one so far for this season but i i always say i'm excited but i'm very excited i'm excited i want to see a meg to step also we didn't talk about uh roulette's todoroki wig i love that todoroki wig that was that i like that that was a good touch and they're definitely slowly building us up for the meg the stallion appearance we see her hand on dj never scared and the 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 song in the back play that back for a real bitch we see that we teasing us with that and then the radio and the todoroki wig so we um we're going to get a meg appearance hopefully in the next not even hopefully i know we are in the next four episodes so and Meg, she just she's on legendary p valley dorito cheetos commercial uh uh did a little rap for the oscars she's just in everything i just hope she's not burnt out but she's just in everything she can work on the album but she's in everything she got a work ethic for sure got her degree last year uh she's doing a lot i think getting her foundation in houston like she's doing a lot so i'm excited we got four more episodes to go and I really hope this show picks up, like, in terms of, like, the Black community. I hope we be, more of us watches it, at least by the time season three comes out. Because this season is just, they took it to a whole nother level. A whole nother level. And I'm really just, they're doing some revolutionary shit back at the P-Valley team. So, I'm just really happy for them and just seeing them grow and elevate in that way. And... I want to see just more, especially um, from the actors, actresses in this. I just want to see other stuff that they're in. I can't wait to for their careers to really, really get to jumping, jumping, you know. So, and shout out to John Clarence Stewart for that excellent performance as Big Teak. And, like, that character will forever be etched in my spirit for sure, for sure. He was only in, what, five to six episodes? but he's in my spirit. So that's how, you know, you did an excellent, like you just killed it. So I will be, uh, talking to y'all next time for episode seven. 
I should have something special planned for y'all. I'm going to get it together. I got to get my life together, but I should have something special planned. So get ready for that. And I'll talk to y'all later. Bye.